0: Welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm James Minter, Director of Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today are my colleagues, Professor Todd Keithy, who holds the Schrader Chair in Farmland Economics here at Purdue, and Professor Michael Langemeyer, who is the Associate Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture. This podcast is part two of a two-part series focused on the results of the Indiana Farmland Values and Cash Rent Survey conducted each year by Purdue's Department of Agricultural Economics. In this podcast, we'll focus on the survey's results regarding changes in farmland cash rental rates across the state and regionally, as well as key factors influencing cash rental rates. In the first podcast in this series, we focused on farmland values in Indiana, both statewide and regionally. A detailed report summarizing the Indiana Farmland Values and Cash Rent Survey is available in the August Purdue Agricultural Economics Report. You'll find a link to that report on the homepage of the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website, located at purdue.edu commercialag. At the website, you can also download a set of slides containing the charts we referenced when recording the podcast. Finally, this podcast is available as a YouTube video on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's YouTube channel and on the Center's website. Todd, start off by giving us some background about the survey and the history of the survey.
1: Yeah, so the cash rental information comes from the same survey we collect land values, right? So that's why it's creatively titled the Purdue Farmland Value and Cash Rent Survey, which has been in the department since the mid-1970s. And we basically survey folks who we define as people who interact with the land market regularly as part of their profession. So a lot of rural appraisers, ag lenders, farm managers, we have some farmers in there as well, but predominantly people are more involved with land sales, either in the sales side of it or financing side of it. And so we ask about the land values this summer and also the previous year, our previous winter, and then going into next year. But for cash rents, we ask about what is cash rent in your county. So we ask them about their county. And we summarize it. those a state level and at the regional level. So for six regions around the state. And we ask them about three quality grades. Those are subjectively defined as top, average, and poor. We also ask them, what is their long-term corn yield as a measure of productivity for each of those in those areas? So we can hopefully try to equate things as a per bushel equivalent, right? So it varies around the state.
0: So, and as you think about it, other states do something a little bit similar? Is is, uh, Iowa State, Illinois do similar surveys?
1: Yes and no. So Iowa State does a cash rent survey as well. I think they do that one in the spring, if I'm not mistaken. And then at the University of Illinois, they have a couple of different outputs. So, one is that they report cash rents from the FPFM, the Farm Management Association. One of the large groups that respond to our survey a lot are the Indiana Society of Farm Management Appraisers. So, they have a similar chapter in Illinois and they do some surveys of them as well for cash rent. So, they have sort of a variety of outputs. So, We share a lot in common, but all of these sources are a little bit different. A
0: little bit different, but maybe close enough, you can still do some pretty reasonable comparisons across the states. I think so. And
1: then the easiest way to compare across states is the USDA also, which their report, unfortunately, is coming out a little bit behind when we're recording this. So we don't know yet what they're saying about this year. But they report state level and not every year, but in most years, report county levels.
0: Point. So uh, listeners are interested to know, what did you find out for cash rents here in 2023?
1: So cash rents are up just a bit, around two to two and a half percent, depending on land quality around the state. So we're at $306 for the top quality land, average at 257 and poor quality at 212. Those are all sort of around 2% up from what we saw the previous year. The nice thing about surveying about cash rental rates is people either be upset that they did not go up enough or that they went up way too much. At, At 2%, I think I should probably not expect a lot of calls from either side. So So
0: the statewide averages, though, mask the variability as you move around the state because the regional averages deviate quite a bit from those state-level averages. Yeah,
1: it deviates both by land quality and by region, right? The survey is difficult. So with all surveys, which I mentioned this when we discussed the land values portion, feel more comfortable the more opinions you can aggregate, right? So at the state level, I feel much more confident as we move into the six regions and our number of respondents gets lower, but also each of those respondents potentially is in areas where they have harder access information from producers or land sales in those areas, we can see some pretty high variability. For example, in the Southeast part of the state, we saw real high growth in cash rental rates, but actually some modest declines in some other parts of the states, like in the Southwest or in the West Central region. Were you surprised at some of the declines? Yes and no. So thinking about, you know, when rental negotiations were going on last fall, last winter, into the early spring, there were a lot of people very concerned about rising input costs. And so I had a lot of farmers saying, I just can't afford to have cash rents continue to go up. I know that they were arguing for cash rents to stay flat or go down. But then other places where at the same time their revenue side was really strong. So you'd have people landlords arguing you'd, share some of that revenue that's picking up. And so I knew going into this year, a lot of uncertainty, I didn't really know what to expect. And so I was kind of surprised with that variation. But we were talking about this beforehand. I think there's also a bit of convergence around the state, right? So we tend to see when the places with historically high cash rental rates, maybe sort of coming down a little bit and places that had lagged behind maybe coming up.
0: Yeah, the one thing that jumped out at me, well, really a couple of things, I guess. One was the fact that you showed some fairly substantial increases in cash flow rates in central Indiana. And at the same time, West Central was maybe softening a little bit. But you mentioned convergence. If you look at the central Indiana average, it came out at 275 for average quality land and the West Central average for average quality land, 278. And prior, that was not the case. Those were not matching up like that.
1: Yeah. So there is some kind of convergence to east to west bands around the state being relatively even and maybe not as strong of a split kind of.
0: And the other one that surprised me a little bit, well, maybe a lot, was southeast Indiana, where you showed some very large increases.
1: Yeah. Southeast has been an interesting place as I learned more about the landmark in Indiana during the survey the last few years. And southwest to some degree as well. They talk a lot more about limited amount of land for sale increased people purchasing land non-farmer purchases or people buying for recreational reasons or some place to hunt and so things seem to be around a lot right and if you talk to folks on the ground they'll tell you it seems like there's always sort of some big high or low thing that has just happened whether it's a land sale or some agreement that seems to be a lot of uncertainty yeah, I just
0: looking at the values, it looks like the Southeast was playing catch up a little bit, right? You're looking at percentage increases ranging from about 33% to as much as 47%, depending on the quality of the land. But I look at the numbers, average quality land in Southeast at 246 an acre, poor quality, 208. So maybe, again, that convergence factor is going on there a little bit.
1: Well, and I think the convergence you really see looking at the top across the southeast and southwest, right? So 296 compared to 299 is definitely pretty close to equal.
0: Yeah, good point. So cash rents over time have changed quite a bit.
1: Yeah, this is going back to 2000. So we've had these like really high peaks in land value appreciation, but we don't really see that in cash rental rates. They seem to kind of go up or down by sort of a small amount. And so it can feel like they're kind of flat. But, you know, when you take a longer view and look back to sort of where we started 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago in 2000, you know, cash rental rates are much higher. And so we've seen a little bit of growth in the last year or two. And so, in a nominal sense, we now have the highest cash rent per acre across all three land qualities, beating what we were seeing in top and average around 2013, 14. And actually, it was just last year for the Low quality land that set their record. It's been sort of modest, but sort of continual growth over this period. Yeah.
0: It is interesting to look at how much they've changed over that not quite a quarter century going back to 2000. What high quality land was renting for $140 an acre, and now we're up over 300, right? So. Yeah.
1: And as always, the challenge with sort of looking at rental agreements, rental rates, I'll still have people come to me and say, like, you know, but your rates seem low. Like everybody I know would rent at the rates that your survey is putting out, right? So, you know, even within a single farm, but for sure within a county or a region, really high variability in terms of what average maybe masks. It'd be interesting to even look within the top, what kind of spread there is there as well, right?
0: So let's just kind of summarize what you found in the survey. And then we're going to talk about some other factors influencing cash rent as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the big takeaway is there's been modest growth, two to two and a half percent statewide average in terms of what we've seen cash rental rates. But that does mask some of that variation we talked about from region to region or within different quality grades. So we did have places where we saw some pretty large increases in cash rental rates and some places that had mid-level declines. We didn't see absolutely plummeting in cash rental rates in any of the instances, but there was quite a variation around the state.
0: One question that Michael and I get frequently is some discussion around the idea of whether or not there's some kind of a flex lease. Did you pick up any of that in the survey?
1: You know, unfortunately, the survey doesn't really ask about that. We just ask about cash rental rates. In fact, that was something we've talked about in the past is wanting to be able to get more information about what variety of leases people are using and then maybe how that influences how they report to us on this survey, right? It does seem like talking to folks around the Corn Belt in general that there's been an increase in these hybrid leases or bonus structure leases. There's certainly a lot of
0: discussion, Michael and I always debate, as to how many of these just wind up being, thinking about it versus actually putting in place one of the hybrid or flex leases. But we definitely get questions about that. Anytime
2: you have a a net return, years like 21 and 22, discussion's going to occur because if you had a fixed cash rent, that was a much lower rent than what it would have been if you had a flex rent. It's a $50 to $100 higher if you'd had a flex rent. And so that's kind of the response, I think to the very high net returns per acre we've seen.
1: Well, so first I'll start by saying people usually only call me when there's a problem, but I have gotten a lot more calls from people who are using flexible agreements, particularly with in this last year when we had high commodity prices going into the season that they were, I got calls from a couple of landowners that said, you know, my tenant wants to raise those trigger prices, at which point I would get some of that bonus because of the high commodity prices or you know they're wanting to change that sort of base rent and and what do i do about the commodity prices or whatever right so i I definitely get more calls about but yeah i agree that some of that might just be people talking about whether or not they want to do this and then
0: that's been my reaction i guess when i've had people ask me about this at workshops as soon as they start thinking about the fact that they have to make decisions about what price to use What's the source of that price?
2: When will it be calibrated or calculated? The base rent, the threshold, and then what price to use. Those are three huge decisions. And quite frankly, some landlords, it's probably going to be difficult to negotiate those things.
0: So it's not that we're discouraging people from doing it, but it it is, well, it's just an interesting point with respect to people think about it. But it'll be interesting in a future survey to find out how widely they're being. The nice thing
2: about them is they're kind of a combination of the fixed cash rent and the share lease. And they're similar to the fixed cash rent. The base rent is usually a little bit lower than the fixed cash rent. So you have a base there. So it can't go below that base. But also on the upside, shared leases hit home run when prices and yields are very good. That's when a flex rent does really well. And so it's really a combination of those two leases. You're sharing a little bit more risk, but if you have really strong yields, strong commodity prices, like we did 21 and 22, the bonus is pretty big. And so they're definitely something to look at. So speaking of that. You've looked at a chart here, and we've used
0: this on some previous webinars, looked at cash rent relative to net returns to land.
2: Yeah, one of the things that's a little easier to predict cash rent than it is land values, because land values is a lot of different factors. You take net income, outside investor interest, you have interest rates, you have inflation. All those things matter when it comes to land values. When you talk about cash rent, it's primarily driven by the net return to land. And I've found out that even if you looked at last year's net return to land, it goes a long ways to explaining what the cash rent is going to be this year. What I've done in this chart is I've illustrated the net return to land from 2007 all the way to a 23 projection. And I've also have cash rent for West Central Indiana during that same time period. And there's a couple of things I want to note with respect to this chart. First of all, it's very obvious that cash rent is much more stable than net return to land. That makes perfect sense if you realize that it would be very difficult to negotiate a $50 change in cash rent from one year to the next. Net return to land can change 100 to $150 in in one year. You're not gonna negotiate big changes like that in one year. And so cash rent's gonna be much flatter, but if you do see a period where net return to land's going down several years in a row, that's gonna drive down cash rent. And the same on the upside, if net return to land is increasing several years in a row, that drives up cash rent. So for example, 2020, 2021, and 2022 are very good years from a profitability standpoint, a net return to land standpoint. That's created the upward pressure on cash rent that we've seen the last two or three years. And so looking ahead, this is a projection, but we're projecting the net return to land in 2023 to be considerably lower than it was the last three years. So that puts a little bit of downward pressure on cash rent. How much downward pressure? Well, it really depends on what the corn price is. Uh, this fall is the corn price going to be four fifty is there going to be five fifty or somewhere in between? And so you know obviously, if it's a little bit lower, then there's going to be more downward pressure on cash rent versus if it's a little bit higher. But using the current corn and soybean prices, we're looking at net return on land that's quite a bit below what the current cash rent is in west central Indiana, and that's not going to create necessarily a huge change in cash rent because cash rent's sticky over time. But I, you are looking at a situation where you could easily see a 2 to 3% decline in cash rent in 24 compared to 23
1: The other thing that your chart shows, and this isn't management advice, but it does seem like there are some farms on the margin that have to make the choice of, do I continue to pay this cash rent even though the return from that might be relatively low because I don't want to lose it forever, right? That's the, the talk that I hear a lot as well. So I think that's something that kind of puts the floor on the cash rent yeah. is that people maybe are unwilling to kind of just walk away, even if it doesn't make sense this year, maybe next year I'll more than look it right for it.
2: That's a really good plug for a spreadsheet I just uploaded this week. The long-run cash rent spreadsheet has been revised and it walks people through that. I've got a 24 budget in there. You get a place where put long-run prices, long-run yields in there and see what your break-even cash rent is compared to the actual or projected cash rent. And you're right, Todd. I mean, that's one of the reasons why cash rent's more stable is you're not going to walk away if your break-even cash rent's only a little bit below the, the current cash rent. It has to be substantially below. And not only that, that parcel you're looking at has to be a large proportion of the land you farm. And, and so there's a lot of situations where your breakeven cash rent's going to be below the actual cash rent. What well, we're looking at here is something a little bit different. We're looking at the, the overall tendency. And I think the overall tendency is for a slight decline in cash rent in 24 But so I said
1: slight. That, that spreadsheet sounds really good. Where do I find it?
2: It's on the Center for Commercial Agriculture website. Okay. So this is actually a spreadsheet that we've had out there
0: for a number of years. It's just updated. And Michael yeah. keeps updating it. Yeah.
2: But what, what the
0: original idea behind that spreadsheet is, is you can use that or view that potential loss that you might be incurring in the short run as an option premium. Right, so you're essentially paying an option premium for the right to continue farming that in the future, and the question is, how large is the option premium, and is it too large or not? And it's actually a spreadsheet we originally put together in that 2014-2015 timeframe yeah, during with the, the downturn and yeah. And- yeah. So we had a significant downturn and really had some people paying some pretty big cash rents, and the question was, do you really want to continue doing that? So, so you've
2: got a model,
0: yeah, that looks at cash rent. And before we go further, tell us
2: what's in the model. Well, the model basically is it's really simple model. It just says cash rent is regressed on lag cash rent or cash rent from the year before and lag net return to land. So it's really simple. What was the previous year's net return to land? What was the previous year's cash rent? How does that do in predicting cash rent? Surprisingly well. And so if you looked at any goodness of fit measure, it would be surprisingly well. It does miss a little bit. However, I mean, you look at the 22 and 23 it actually had uh, the turning point, right? I, I thought that the cash rent was coming down here in 23, but it came down more than I thought it was going to. But nevertheless, it, it does a fairly nice job of, of thinking about where we might be heading in the next year for cash rents. And when I talk to people about where I think cash rent may be going in the next year, I have this model in mind.
0: So one of the things we've been doing is asking about cash rent to corn and soybean producers in the Ag Economy Barometer surveys that we do every month. We've asked this question the last two months now, so June and July. And we asked, compared to this year, what are your expectations for cash rents in your area in 2024? And the response has been very consistent across those two months. In June, I think 25% of the corn and soybean producers said they thought cash rents would be higher in 2024 than 2023. We got almost the exact same response in July, 24% said higher. And with respect to the other choices, which were about the same or lower in June, 68% of the corn and soybean producers said they thought cash rents would remain about the same. In July, it was 71%. So the question is, how do we interpret that relative to what you're saying with
2: respect to your model, Michael? I think this is suggesting a slight increase. One fourth of the people saying an increase and less than than 5% in July are expecting a decrease with most of them saying stable cash rent. But I would think that this suggests a slight increase in
1: land values. One
2: of the things really interesting about this is you think about all the dry areas in the U.S. right now, and we're still seeing this result. Typically, when you see a lot of drought like that, it tempers a little bit, Uh, the increases in cash rent. And so th- I, this, is, this is really interesting information, I think. Yeah. And just for clarity,
0: when we do the Ag Economy Barometer, it's focused on corn and soybean producers, at least this question. But that's nationwide. It's not just Indiana, and it's not just the Corn Belt. So we do have people from outside the Corn Belt responding to this.
1: I would also love to hear how they say higher, if it's more like higher or like higher. You know what I mean? Like... I- I them, like an enthusiastic I, they, or unenthusiastic. Well, well, that's one of the nice things about going to like extension events, right? And you can hear also the tone to how things yeah. are answered, and, right? And we have asked a question
2: before, I, I think it was related to some technology adoption question, but we asked the respondents whether they rented ground out or they rented ground to themselves and overwhelmingly more of them rent ground themselves than rent ground out. So they're on net renters.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think that like the... I'd love to so know. So sort of,
2: it's probably a sigh. Oh, it's going to be higher. But and, and I'm <laughs> curious
1: though, like the the intensity to which they think it's going to be higher, right? So, do they think it's going to be higher by a couple of percentage points, or is it like, oh, it's definitely going to be higher, right? So, so
0: I'm glad you asked that because oh, we asked that follow up question on the ag economy barometer survey. So, well, what did it say? So. Well, Again, the responses were very consistent. Two months in a row, we've asked this, and this question only goes to people who said they expect rents to rise in 2024. And I have to say when you a little bit of a qualifier here, because when you start filtering a little bit like this, the number of respondents here starts shrinking. So our confidence in the results does start to go down somewhat. But the most common response was five to 10 percent among the people who expect hmm. to see a rise in rental rates. In June, I think 49% of those who think rates are going up said 5 to 10%. In July, 47% of those who think rates are going up said 5 to 10%. Michael and I were probably both in the camp of expecting people to be more in the 0 to 5% category. And we had a significant number in there. I mean, it was roughly a third in both June and July. And then there's a small number of people, well, 19%. So that's one out of five of the people who think rates are going up said 10% or more. That's surprising. That almost suggests to me some folks who maybe are looking at some rates that, at least at the current time, maybe aren't real competitive or something. I'm not sure.
2: And Another question we don't ask, maybe we should ask this question at some point, but it would be kind of difficult to frame this question, is how many of these people that say it's going to increase rather rapidly have tremendous demand in their area for cash rent for whatever reason? Maybe there's several large farms that have been trying to expand, and it's just really, really competitive market. And we do right across that in Indiana, where sometimes you do see some people bit up ground more than the survey suggests, because there's just so much competition in that area. We really don't have a feel for that. Bottom
0: line, it'll be very interesting to see what your survey shows the next time around relative to what we've picked up with the barometer.
1: I am very curious, as Michael teed us up here, right? I often think about in context of like, what does this imply about the functioning of the land market, right? So if you think about last year, remember, we had record high land price appreciation and relatively modest growth in cash rental rates and looking at the fundamentals thinking, well, you know, they, they should sort of track really close together. We get worried when the fundamentals that support those land values seem to not be as strong, right? So if it's not getting a high return per acre. So M- Michael, take it away here.
2: I don't so, have the answer, but what I'm do- going to do next here is we're going to look at the long run price to rent ratio, which is just the inverse of the capitalization rate. Capitalization rate is rent divided by price. The price-rent ratio is price divided by rent. But what we've seen, obviously, since 2004, approximately, is is the the P-rent ratio. This is just the actual P-rent ratio, not the cyclically adjusted. It's been much, much higher than this long-run average. Another way of saying that, since 2004, the cap rate has been substantially below this long-run average. Part of the reason why that has occurred is interest rates have been very low since 2008. Since we had those economic problems in 2008 in the U.S., they took interest rates, you know, the Fed fund rate almost to zero, and they were, they've been low until recently. And so kind of an open-ended question, what is the cap rate going to look like two, three years from now if the current interest rates are still relatively high compared to what they were from 2007 to 2022? I don't have necessarily have the answer to that, but I do think that there is some upward pressure on the capitalization rate or downward pressure on the P-rent ratio because of higher interest rates. So for clarity here, if you take the inverse of your
0: P-rent ratio, you've got a cap rate of about 2.5. 25 Slightly percent. lower than
2: that. I think Todd was saying 2.4.
1: 2.4, I think, yeah. which is, it also, at least in our survey, yeah. has stabilized yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, there's been sort of kind of continued decline since really kind of the mid-1980s. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's looks like it's leveling off a little bit, right? As an economist, we think about it. There should be sort of a natural limit to how low cap rates can go in functioning markets. And I'm
2: arguing we probably went below that because of the very low interest rates. And now maybe we'll increase it to something a little bit higher than that. Does that mean we're going back to 5%? No, I don't think so. But we could easily go back to 3 or something around that so again for
0: clarity pushing the
2: cap rate right yeah holding everything else
0: constant creates downward pressure on on farmland values values.
1: yeah Yeah. or or upward pressure on rents right so like they they can there's two ways to equate that right
0: mathematically you're right
1: correct (laughs) but the argument becomes we need to either see higher returns or we need to see the asset values push down a little right. bit. Sort of. I think it goes to back
2: it. to what you were talking about earlier when you're talking about the outlook for land values in the the corresponding podcast, the podcast related to land values. We saw some fairly large projections for the upcoming year. Part of that's reflecting these higher interest rates and the fact that we have mixed factors. Not all the stars are aligned for higher land values. Now we're in an environment where we've got some factors that are negative, including interest rates. It's just a different environment.
1: Well, and the, and the thing that I get increasingly get calls and emails about from folks around the state and around the Corn Belt, which you sort of alluded to is like increased competition, right? So thinking about land being converted for development uses or energy uses in a variety of forms or just fewer farms in a particular area. So now it's more competitive among those farmers to to acquire land. That's the other thing I'm really curious about here, sort of how that'll affect land. Values. In fact, I've said it for a number of years, it, it's really hard as an economist to measure but the thing I'm always curious about is who has the power in setting the rent? Is it the landlord or the tenant who has more market power, is a term what we would use as economists, or bargaining power? And, and so I think that a lot of part dictates when we have sort of costs or benefits from ownership or from using the land, how are they going to divide those among the two parties? It's Good
2: question. A question. And essentially, what the, this low capitalization rate is, some of the implications of that is the fact that the capital gain, the, the return from capital gain now is much larger than the return from cash rent. That's different from when it was historically. Historically, yeah. cash rent was, was similar. The return from cash rent was similar to the capital gain. It's certainly different today. and It, it makes the outset investor think a little differently about farmland.
1: Well, and the other thing, too, is it's important to point out that economy-wide, we've seen the compression of cap rates across asset classes, Yeah, good right? point. And so th- I often say when there's troubling signs in the ag sector, I say, well, as an economist, the good news is this is everywhere in the economy, right? So we have these things where it's like, the good news is it's not just you, it's all of us. That's why they call us the dismal science, I guess. Right? And
2: if you're the best house on a bad block, that's even better. And ag, I don't think it's going to go into recession where the general or economy the- might.
1: Oh, man. So tell we've got another podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: And on that note, we'll wrap up the farmland cash rental rates highlights from the Indiana Farmland Values and Cash Rent Survey. A reminder that the full report of the survey's results is available on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website, purdue.edu commercialag along with a copy of the slide deck we used when recording the podcast. And also a reminder that Part 1 of this podcast series focused on farmland values, both for the state of Indiana and various regions within the state. I'm James Mentert, and on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and my colleagues, Dr. Todd Keithy and Dr. Michael Langemeyer, thanks for listening.